You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So a little transparency here. Several years ago, during one of the best snowstorms of Lexington, um, snow fans, am I the only one still? Okay, all right, all right. Snowstorm, deep snow. We shovel, we take it upon ourselves, you know, being good neighbors, we take it upon ourselves to shovel the driveway of our neighbor. And this is deep stuff. And the snow plows have come through and it's thrown stuff to the curb. So it's really high right where the driveway meets the road. So we're like, you know what? They're gone. Let's just sneak over there, shovel their driveway. When they come home, nice surprise for them. And we didn't know them that well, so we wanted to make that connection with them, right? So we shovel their snow, or their driveway. Sophie's fully involved. She's about six at the time, fully, heavily involved in this. We get the whole thing done. Takes a couple of hours. Big driveway, right? A couple of hours. So we go in the house, and we get some cocoa ready, and we're waiting. We're thinking, you know, chances are they'll come by any moment, and we wait, and it turns into the evening, and they don't come by. And we're like, you know what? Well, let's just keep an eye out. Because to be honest, we wanted a little credit for it, right? You know, we wanted them to know we did it. So we're waiting, we're waiting. They don't come by. The next day, nobody's there. Come to find out they had moved. <laughs> they didn't ever return, right? Anyway, anyway, during that whole process, if you looked out of our upstairs bedroom window, directly across the street... There was this sweet little girl, similar to the age of Sophie at the time, and she's got this shovel that's like the length of double her size, right? And she's out there at her grandmother's house, and she's just trying to shovel this snow. And I'm thinking, oh, that's cute. But then I call for Sophia and Michelle and Christian, and Bella's just a baby, so Michelle's bringing her in there. And I said, come here, come here, come here, look at this. And in retro, I guess my wife thought I was going to say, look how cute that is. But I said, look at this. I said, Sophie... You could shovel circles around that little girl over there. I know, right? You look at this cute little girl over there, and she's giving it her best, and I'm feeling good because my little girl could so do a much better job. Let's be honest just for a second. And I know this is probably hard to say, so I'll say it for us all. If you see someone doing something and you perceive it as the least bit of threat to you or what you're called to protect or own, doesn't it feel good when they really can't carry it out or they struggle or they even lose? Let's be honest. Doesn't it feel a little good? I know it's warped and twisted, but there's a little bit of satisfaction that comes in seeing someone else struggle, especially when you're trying to protect something. But when you think about a grown man looking out a window and receiving a little satisfaction because a girl is struggling, it's irrational. I get it. So I've talked to you several over this past week and past couple of weeks, and the common theme that I hear about this current series is, this series has really messed with me. And good. Good, right? I mean, we're looking at monsters within, some stuff that's below the surface, and we're taking a close look at things we don't often talk about and how they're really playing out in our lives, and it should mess with you. Anytime that deep stuff or stuff within or stuff we don't talk about or stuff we hide or hold in, when that stuff meets the Word of God, it's going to mess with us. 
So I was tempted last week, chatted with you a lot about greed. And someone after the sermon said, I think we all left feeling like everybody is greedy. I would amen that. I almost called Monty two weeks ago and said, hey man, I know this is short notice, but I cannot preach this sermon. In preparation for it, it has messed with me. And I think I'm too greedy to actually talk about greed. Well, there's another topic up as we finish this series and it pops up and it's called jealousy. And, and by a show of hands, and you can be honest, by a show of hands, how many of you think you're jealous? And if you're not, that's cool. Yeah, not the majority, not the majority. But I wanna make a case for jealousy is kind of wrapped up in this idea of what I really want. And I'm not sure you and I take the time, maybe it's schedule, maybe it's life, whatever. We don't really take the time to slow down and focus on what is it in a given situation? What is it, maybe even in a random relationship, what is it that I really want in this moment? What is it that I want? When you think about jealousy, I love what the Bible says, Proverbs 27, 4. Anger, it's cruel. Fury, yeah, it's overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Uh, the CEV puts it a different way, and I love this translation. An angry person is dangerous, but a jealous person is even worse. Do you believe that? Is jealousy really more dangerous than anger? Probably so, and here's why. Jealousy is dangerous because jealousy, it shapes our attitude toward another person. And they may be fully innocent of any accusation we're laying against them. Jealousy begins to take shape and it affects our, it shapes our attitude to someone else based on how well they're doing. They're not doing anything wrong. Actually, things are going well for them and it makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't like that. So that's why we say we're jealous about the way someone looks or we're jealous about someone's skills or we're jealous about someone's cre creative nature, maybe even jealous about their health. Things are great for them and it's not for me and I can't handle that and it's a little irrational. Actually, the word jealousy, it's traced back to the word zealous. And we get, you know, zealot. We read about that in the scripture. Zealot, this deep passion or this drive or this enthusiasm for something. And only the context dictates whether that's good or bad. But what the word zealous means is rivalry. And when you think of a rivalry, usually there's two people or two teams involved. But this idea of jealousy, it's kind of an irrational rivalry. Because I'm in conflict with someone but they don't even know it. It's just me. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When you think about having an emotional attachment to something, whether it's something or someone, we have an emotional tug toward it. It's an investment we have. Maybe it's something, someone in the family, maybe it's a goal, objective, a possession, something. We're attached to it. So we have this desire. When you think about desire, it's wrapped up in want. It's something you don't have but you want, right? That's a desire. You want something. You don't have it yet. You want it, a desire. Now, the problem is 
when you can't get it. And you remember last week we talked about greed. And the issue with greed is that there's something out there you want and you can get it. It may require you to do something that is reckless, but you can get it if you want it bad enough. Well, the problem with a desire is when you can't get it, that's when we experience envy. This idea that there's something out there that you have, I don't, and I want it, but for some reason, it's not attainable to me. I'm not able to get it for myself. So resentment rises up, and it causes friction or fractures a relationship. Well, we also have this thing, we have this emotional attachment to something we want to defend. We want to defend because it's not something we want and we can't get, it's actually something we already have. The problem is we can't control it. Even though it's part of who we are, part of our life, part of our relational system, even if it's a possession or something we own, the fact is we can't fully control someone or something's behavior. Maybe we don't have full possession of it. So the issue is, if I can't control it, if it can be threatened, if there's a risk to it, that's jealousy. Jealousy is not something you want, it's something you have. And the nature of somebody else or something they're doing poses a threat to that. You've got a guy who's a super worker, he's been at the company for decades and things are going well. Then another young guy comes in and he's just as good or maybe a little bit better as this guy, as this executive. And this guy becomes not envious, but he's jealous. He wants to defend, he's trying to protect something. And when that happens, there's this irrational rivalry. I could be jealous of someone in here and you don't even know it, but I perceive you as a threat to something in my life. Make sense? So what I want us to do is I want us to look at two stories, uh, both from the Old Testament, one from the life of a young man named Joseph and one from a guy named Saul. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna see jealousy, if it's here, we're gonna look at what leads up to jealousy. What are some of the clues that maybe jealousy or maybe you're in this irrational rivalry, what's happening? And then once jealousy locks itself into you, how does that play out? What does it look like in your life? And then we'll do it again at the end. We'll say, by a show of hands, how many of us really think we're jealous? Or better yet, do we know what it is that we really, really want? So we'll start out in Genesis chapter 37. This is with a young man named Joseph. And Joseph's just journeying along through life. He's not doing anything wrong. The only wrong that's come his way is this. His dad loves him. His dad loves him more than he loves the rest of his children, and I know that presents a problem, but Joseph's done nothing wrong. His dad loves him, and his heavenly father loves him too, so much that he drops a dream into Joseph's mind and says, hey, I'm going to do this great thing in your life. I'm actually going to make you a leader. Joseph's 17 at the time. It takes 13 years for this dream to come to fruition, but he's 17 a young man, and I want you to notice that because we're going to come back to it. He's young. 
when this happens. He's done nothing wrong other than embrace his father's love and his heavenly father's love. And then he goes to his brothers and he starts telling them about this good stuff that's happening in his life. And we pick up the story. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated Joseph. And they could not speak a kind word to Joseph. Let's just hang out here for just a second. Do you have anyone in your circle of life and you see some good stuff's going on for them and whatever it is that they're doing, they're really good at it. Do you find yourself having a really hard time acknowledging that? Notice the text doesn't say that the brothers are tearing him down but they cannot bring themselves to build him up. So is there anyone in your life that you're having a really hard time because they're good at it? Things are going well, but it's a threat or a perceived threat or an irrational rivalry you have with that person. So you can't bring yourself to say anything good about them. So they hated him, couldn't speak a kind word to him and notice this, his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Because that's what the dreams imply. Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. We underscore the words you because do you see what's going on? You got these guys and they look out at Joseph and they say, you and all things good are happening in Joseph's life. There's no reason for them to criticize him at all. So the only thing they can do is say, you, really? And try to put doubt in Joseph's mind. And that's irrational. It's an irrational rivalry because Joseph doesn't know he's at odds with his brothers. But they're at odds with him because they're jealous. The text actually goes on and it says, his brothers were jealous. So leading up to jealousy, you find that it's really hard to say something nice about someone who is successful in whatever endeavors are occurring in their lives. And then you start to place a little doubt in their lives. And maybe it's not just to them. I see this happen all the time. And to be honest, I'm probably guilty of it myself in some fashion or form, or at least through the years, where you don't actually put doubt in that person's mind. But what do you do? You talk to someone else about them. And you downplay their talents or their successes or the good fortune going on in their life. And you ask, them, really? You, really? I had a lady in my office a couple of weeks ago, and she, actually last week, and she was talking. And as we got through the conversation, she made this comment. And I want to speak to any young people in here this morning. I want to call attention to you, and then I want to pose a challenge to you as well. This lady was talking and then she reached this point in the conversation and she said, I'm actually at the age in life, get this, get this, I'm at the age in life now to where I'm starting to feel how society doesn't value me anymore. She's starting to feel that society doesn't see the value of this person because of her age. Do you see that playing out? Can't you see hints of that with Joseph's brothers? You, 
because we have this divide and it's irrational if you think about it but there's this divide between young and old there's this divide between Democrat and Republican there's this divide between boss and employee there can be divide between husband and wife there can be a divide between traditional and contemporary churches we separate and we ask if we're on one side or the other you 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 so to any youth I know that one of the most important things to you the up-and-coming generation is to add value and meaning to this world I know that you need to be moved with purpose you need something that really gets your attention to the core and that you can really move health forward in our world especially the unhealthy world in which we live I want to call your attention to first first Timothy chapter 4 and this is a challenge for you don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but you set an example you take charge you take the lead show us what bridging that divide show us what that looks like and you set an example for the church set an example for believers in how you live in how you love people and how your faith plays out and in purity show us what that looks like so that we don't have two opposing sides and they're saying you 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 and it's just this irrational rivalry built on jealousy because maybe the other side has something that's going on and it's good but it threatens where I stand so we'd ask the question if you're wrestling with jealousy the question is simply what I really want is you think about a relationship that you have whatever it is what do you really really want just slowing down life for a few moments here so you can connect with the Word of God and his spirit and ask yourself what is it that I really really want what do you think Joseph's brothers really wanted whatever it was they didn't have it they couldn't control it and so they were jealous second story comes from a guy named Saul and this is what happens after after jealousy kicks in this is something that occurs and it's it's really revealing for Saul but it's really revealing for all of us as well you know Saul from the Old Testament not to be confused with Saul who turns into Paul in the New Testament but Saul was a pretty tall handsome guy and he stood a shoulder ahead of everyone else I think the text says and Saul was anointed king God tapped him to be king over Israel big task right Saul is anointed to be king over Israel but what happens he becomes king and then a guy comes along who does some really cool stuff and it threatens Saul's throne we'll see what happens first Samuel 18 so David slaughters Goliath and these people come out and they're like hey Saul's a great king he can take care of a thousand in an army but what David just did no one's ever done David could probably slay 10,000 people in an army and there's these gals going out and they're actually singing this song and they're dancing 
And then Saul thinks, whoa, 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 whoa. What more can David get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. Notice this, from that time on, usually in a relationship, something happens and it triggers you. It triggers you to think, just like Saul. It triggers a thought and you get lost and wrapped up in that thought. And from that time on, you have this irrational rivalry with someone. And th this jealousy begins to shape your attitude toward this other person. And there's suspicion. Um, I had this great poll going on in the office the other day, and I was surprised that not everyone was familiar with this language. Does everybody know what the stink eye is? Raise your hand if you know what the stink eye is. Yeah, maybe half of us, I couldn't believe. Raise your hand if you've never heard of it. About half, wow, I couldn't believe that. In my house, we say it all the time. Sophie will run up to me and say, Daddy Bella just gave me the stink eye. And it's apparently this idea, you know, where you go and you, you just squint. Well, apparently, you know how they say the eyes are the window to the soul. They say that the emotion that is going on in someone Whatever's going on in their heart or their mind, you can really perceive that through the eyes. And some studies were done, and it was crazy, that anytime someone squints their eyes, more often than not by a landslide, it's not thought like a deep, good thought. Like, hey, I'm just hung up on this. I'm working through this mathematical formula like Mike LeVan, and I'm really curious about what's going on, something like that. Instead, it's this idea that you're squinting because you're thinking about someone else. And the squint has led to suspicion. When someone squints, the idea is that they're suspicious. So Saul keeps this jealous, suspicious eye on David. Here's the really exciting thing about that, the really interesting thing that could apply to you and to me. Saul's king, God tapped him to be king. God is using Saul. But this guy, David, comes along and he does something that's really, really good. The text says whatever he did was really successful. Great. And it affects Saul. It affects the relationship between David and Saul. But what this does is it reveals who Saul was all along. And it can reveal who you are and who I am. If we back up just a little bit to chapter 10, just a breakdown of what happens in Saul's life, when he's first anointed king, when the guys come out and say, hey, Saul, we've tapped you to be king, he doesn't tell anyone. In chapter 10, he says nothing about this. And you may be thinking, well, David, uh, maybe he's processing it, taking it all in. That's a big responsibility, all that jazz. You keep reading a little bit farther and the guys come and they're like, hey, where's Saul? It's time to anoint him with oil and place him on the throne. The text really says this. He hid among the baggage. He hides. So they find Saul and they start working out the details of the kingship and then some troublemakers, the text call it, some troublemakers come up and they start saying this stuff about Saul. They're like, who is this guy to lead us? And when Saul hears this, he doesn't say a word. He keeps silent. And that implies that he's thinking about all this stuff. So you've got a guy with huge responsibility and he's not talking about it. 
he's hiding. And when he hears some bad stuff circulating around his name, he doesn't see anything about it. You keep reading the story, and the text says that Saul was little in his own eyes. Like the old King James says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If jealousy is the hidden monster, the monster within you and something you're battling, if you've got this irrational rivalry going on with someone, it can actually reveal what you really think about yourself. And who wants to do that? But if we don't slow down and take the time to consider who we are, or better yet, maybe we could ask that question again. We don't slow down and ask, what is it that I really, really want? The question on the screen, there we go. What I really want is. What do you think Saul really wanted? Or more pertinent question, what do you really want? If you squint your eyes at someone and you're keeping a jealous eye on them because you're trying to protect something, and maybe it's a person, maybe you're protecting a position, maybe you're even protecting your reputation, and there's a perceived threat to that, Suspicion's going to rise up. So in that moment, what is it that you really, really want? You've got to identify that because if you don't, then this jealousy is going to become dangerous. It's going to shape your attitude towards someone else. And you're going to find yourself getting excited when that person struggles or misses out or loses. So uh, James goes on in the New Testament carries this thought out and actually anchors this idea of what I really want and says it's basically the crux of every conflict you could ever experience. This is the problem that we battle. So if you think for just a moment, just a few seconds, if you've got a fractured relationship with someone or inside of your own mind there's this irrational rivalry going on, and it's causing some tension or conflict, strain or difficulties, here's why. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you. You want something and you don't get it. Every fight that we will ever have, every fight that we've ever had with someone else, we wanted something and we didn't get it. So the question that I pose to you, what is it that you really, really want? And if jealousy is there, you've got to check it. If you don't check it, jealousy, here's the deal with it. Jealousy needs justification. In other words, if I can find fault with you because I'm jealous of you, if I can find fault with you, then I'm good. It's no longer necessary for me to fix my feelings because I can justify the way I feel. What do you really, really want? If that 
question has triggered something in your heart or mind, I'd love to chat with you. Several of you emailed me last week, reached out. Feel free to do that again. If you wanna talk about this, I'd love to set up a time where we can work through some of this kind of thinking. It's very helpful, very beneficial because jealousy is dangerous and we wanna help move you beyond that so that you're not just living these irrational rivalries that no one else knows anything about. Here's what I want you to do. We had a great turnout this past Wednesday. Last week, we made a plug for our D group workshop. Some guys came out, gals came out, and we got plugged into some new groups, reworked, refreshed what a D group is and how it moves along. And we talked about how monsters attack when you're alone. And monsters attack in a unique way. They attack your unique vulnerability. So what I want you to do is if you find yourself feeling alone, or if you find yourself feeling attacked because you've got this unique vulnerability and the enemy is just all over that, a D group could be the tool to help you combat both of those monsters. What I want you to do is take this connect card at the bottom, uh, write your name, contact info, email, or phone number, and I want you to write D group on it. And we're gonna have someone reach out to you and get you plugged in. I was chatting with a guy a couple of days ago. He made this great line. He said, you know, when you're alone, there are just some things you don't see. Some things you don't see. I think jealousy is hard to see in our own life because it's irrational and it's a rivalry of one and we don't see how that's playing out. So the defense to protect, because you can't maintain or control what's going on, a person, a position or a reputation, it fractures a relationship. The other person may not even know. That's crazy. But that's what happens. We see it in the brother's life and in Saul's life. Right D group. Someone will reach out to you and we can get you plugged in so you're not alone. And when the enemy attacks your unique vulnerabilities, you've got a team of people who can surround you, lift you up in prayer and encourage you during those weak moments, okay? If that's you, I want you to do it. And, I don't, and we can't leave. We can't leave this morning without addressing one thing. As some of you have probably already written this in your notes or thought about it. You're gonna email me a question about it. If jealousy's so bad... What do we do with our God? Deuteronomy 5, 9. I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God. Jealousy is when you have something. And since you can't control it, it has movement and freedom on its own to do what it chooses. Since you can't control it, it produces jealousy because it should be yours and rightfully so. So you want it back. When the Bible says our God is a jealous God, it's because we all should belong to him. We are all his children, all been created in his image, but we have freedom to move, freedom of choice, and sometimes we walk away. Sometimes we say we don't want in on that right now. When we take a step away from church or a step away from God or a step away from 
whatever. And God wants that back. He is jealous for every single one of us. He is jealous for that relationship and whatever it is that's pulling you away from him, yeah, that makes him jealous because you belong to him. He loves you. Anyone in here this morning, you've taken a step away, you've been moving around, your God is jealous for you right now, and you have an opportunity to come back, to come back. I'm going to be down front to your right. If you want to come and talk and pray or make that step, we can do it now, or at least catch me after service but your God loves you and he's jealous for you will you stand with me we're going to pray then we're going to worship Father we thank you for loving us and right now we invite you into our hidden heart that chamber of our lives where only we and you can see and we pray Father Help us to experience your presence fully right now. And I pray for anyone who has stepped away for a bit, God, or anyone who's wrapped up in some kind of irrational rivalry within themselves, that they take a step forward and they return to you, knowing that your love for them is, it's deep, and you're jealous for them. You want to be the center of their lives once again. I pray for anyone carrying that around, Father, that they make a step forward today. We love you, God, and we thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you for taking it upon yourself to make things right between you and between us. And we want to lay any of these rivalries down right now. And we want to embrace you. Father, we thank you for loving us and being jealous for us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray and we praise you. Amen.